Well, allow me to be the first to admit that I am hippopotamus happy, peacock proud, and elephant elated to be here at Walla Walla University. It is my first time, and I've been praying and fasting all week that it sure won't be my last. And I'm just excited that what God is doing here in this place. Would you help me thank God for the senior pastor of this church, uh, Pastor Alex Bryant. Thank you, God bless you, sir. We thank God for what he's doing here and for how God is blessing. And then help me thank God for the president of this fine institution, Dr. McVeigh. God bless you, sir. We thank God for you. you somewhere. And then would you help me thank God for one who has just been such a great source of encouragement over the chasm of the years, Dr. Pedrito Maynard Reed. And I'm just, I'm just so excited to be here today to hear this wonderful choir that have blessed us all day long, haven't they? And God is just, yeah, you go ahead, you can thank God for them. I bring you greetings from the, te from the Temple Gate Seventh-day Adventist Church in Selma, Alabama, who probably right about now are a little disappointed that they're pastored and preached today. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm going to take uh, word back that we had a great time in Walla Walla, Washington. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me even to the book of Hebrews? I want to call your prayerful attention to a few verses. They told me to preach like I'm at home. And uh, so at home, I'd normally ask my congregation if they would stand right now uh, in honor of the reading of the word of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 onwards. We most certainly want to honor all clergy that are gathered here, left their pulpits to gather here on this day. Hebrews chapter 2, commencing at verse 14. Read from the New King James Version, you will in there invariably find these words. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death all their lifetimes subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are also tempted. I want to anchor in on verse 15. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I want to preach for the next few moments. You are released. You may be seated even in the presence of the Lord. You are released. Harriet Tubman, that prolific abolitionist and humanitarian, 
is best known for her courageous efforts to free slaves. Tubman had been beaten and physically abused by masters and on one occasion, she was hit by a metal object and as a result suffers from seizures and narcoleptic attacks. In other words, she would pass out unexpectedly. Even one time she was on a rescue mission and the story is that she passed out underneath a wanted poster with her picture and her name on it. She never got caught, never lost a passenger, and became a spy in the Union Army. Now how do you do all of that? Never get caught, never lose a passenger, and become a federal spy? And she testified that I could do what I did despite this bondage in my health because when I was conscious, I was working for the Lord so that when I was unconscious, the Lord was working for me. Can I tell you, Walla Walla, that whatever in your life has been broken, bleeding, or barren, Jesus can mend it, Jesus can restore it, Jesus can fix it, and Jesus can heal it until the crooked places are made straight and the rough places are made smooth. And although he is tremendous mysterium, he is concerned and concerned and concerned about you and I. And that's where we find ourselves in the text because the epistle to the Hebrews, said to be the most eloquent and refined book of the New Testament, is written to exhort, equip, and encourage Jewish and Gentile Christians. If perusing through the perimeter of the book, one would come to the conclusion that this is solely a book about faith. Rather, if one looks deep into the book of Hebrews, you can conclude that the central theme of this epistle is the doctrine of the person of Christ and his role as concerned mediator between God and humanity. These Jewish believers were written to, to be reminded that life in Christ no longer calls for circumcision or animalistic sacrifices, but it requires a consecration to the Christ who has paid the ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews adopts a persuasive approach, making case for the superiority of Christ to anything before him, during him, or after him. In other words, it doesn't get any sweeter than Jesus Christ. The author does not spend any time in greetings or salutations. He just lets the saints know that before God spoke through prophets, but in these last days, he's speaking through his son. And everything they need for a devoted, dedicated, disciplined life, they're the ingredients you need. It can all be found in Jesus Christ. That that's why you ought disregard anybody any preacher or any church that teaches you that Jesus plus something else is the answer. Not according to the divine inspired writer of the epistle of the Hebrews. So the author here is making case that in case you forget the who of your salvation, remember that since you could not get to God, God in Christ came down unto you. He's made lower than the angels. He, he became a friend that sticks closer than any brother. 
He did something that angels cannot do. He died. He had to come and die because all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us are prone to wonder and prone to leave the God that we love. And God is so into you. He's so concerned about you that he will go to extraordinary measures to draw you to his side. We call it the ministry of reconciliation. The reality is we would not be where we are unless Christ decided to, unless Christ did not decide to reconcile us unto himself. It's of worthy note today that Hebrews is aliased the book of better things because interwoven onto the textual canvas of the pericope of Hebrews is that despite where you are living at right now, you can be freed from a death destined normalcy and released into the better things of eternal life, okay? Y'all don't believe me, so let me prove it to you anyhow. Chapter one, the son is better than the angels. Chapter two, we have a better dominion through a better gospel. Chapter three, we have a better builder and a better house. Chapter four, we have better rest. Chapter five, there's a better priest. Chapter six, there's a better promise. Chapter seven, there's a better mediator. Chapter eight, there's a better tabernacle and covenant. Chapter nine, we have better blood. Chapter 10, we have a better day. Chapter 11, there's a better faith. Chapter 12, there's a better relationship. And chapter 13, there's a better praise. And all of that betterment comes through one who is not solely better for us, but through the one who is best for us, our high priest, Jesus Christ. Wish I had a witness here. And the theme, the theme of our text of consideration is that God wants us in one place. However, we are living in another place, but the length he's willing to go to make that transition happen. It's us leaving Egypt, headed to Canaan, but how God guides us in the wilderness of life. In other words, God is anxious to make you his neighbor. And isn't it good news, Walla Walla, that God is willing to go to extreme lengths to draw us to his side. Christ's sole purpose was to come and release us from the fear of death because fear has led us into bondage. Whenever you deal with bondage, you deal with the implication that we are less free than we have been designed and destined by God to be. So our very existence is an intermediate or a temporary period between a state of when we were free, Genesis 1, and a state to when we shall be free, Revelation 21. All of us live on the precipice and the cusp of either once being in bondage, currently living in bondage, or one wrong decision away from entering back into bondage. But since I don't have the power to release myself from the chain, I need someone who will act on the chain because if I don't get free, I'm going to die in the chain rather than experience the liberty wherewith Christ has made me free. 
born in sin, I'm shapen in iniquity. Thus, I am subject and susceptible to bondage. But the thesis of the text is simply this, Jesus the Christ has released me. And so the relevant question, every sermon ought to have a relevant question, and so the relevant question couched within the parameters of our text this morning is simply this, how exactly does Christ release us from bondage? Bondage of fear, depression, anger, defeat, betrayal, sin, whatever else is in the genetical makeup of your bondage. So this text is tailored to teach us a few things regarding the competence, the capability, and the capacity of Christ to release us from what we are in to where and what we need to be. First thing we lift from this canvas is that we are released because we have a shared experience. Let the church say shared experience. Verse 14 teaches, he himself likewise shared in the same flesh and blood as us. Likewise shared. I, I like that. The text is trying to teach us here that Christ takes unto himself my experience. Jesus takes hold of human nature without its sin and he holds it to himself as an additional nature. That's why he is fully God and he's fully man. He's our divine and living doppelganger. We don't subscribe to the docetistic view that Jesus uh, had a fake body, that he was not real. The devil is a liar. The Bible said he likewise shared. Thus he associated himself uh, with the human race in its possession of flesh and blood. He took unto himself something with which by nature he had nothing in common. He took on, Pastor Ramey, the duality of nature. And so the reason he can help us is because he has a shared experience with us. That, that's kinsman redeemer language right there. He knows us because we have a shared experience. And isn't it the pinnacle of frustration when someone tries to tell you how to live your life, but they've never lived a day in your shoes? They've never cried your tears. They've never felt your frustration. They've never felt your pain. They've never had to pay your bills. They've never had to bury your loved ones. They've never had to manage your fragile emotions. But I'm here to declare that Christ has a shared experience with you. Shared experience means that he is not outside of our shoes dictating how we should live, no. But he's been in our shoes and he's demonstrated how to live, how to walk, and have our being. So Christ comes as a partaker because he becomes common. He who is clean becomes unclean so that we who are unclean might one day become clean. And he does this not for his benefit. He does this not for heaven's benefit. But he does it for our benefit. He takes this shared experience for a reason. And that reason, the text says, is that he might destroy the one who held death in his hand. Here's a facet of what we might call the great controversy. Now, this word used for destroy, it's not the usual word. The usual word for destroy is, um, is apolumi, which means death or perish. But the word the author uses here is not apolumi, death or perish, but the word here is kategeo. 
It means to be reduced to inactivity. And I, I really don't like going into the whole Greek because a whole lot of y'all really don't know what I'm talking about when I go Greek. But, but, but here, is, here is an important point. It doesn't use the word apolume. It uses the word katageo. Now understand, this word katageo means to be reduced to inactivity. Jesus sharing our experience from Bethlehem's barn to Calvary's cross didn't kill Satan yet. Because he's still a roaming lion seeking whom he may devour. And so the author uses the word katageo, not apolloon, because uh, katageo is good news because it lets us know that although the Lord sharing our experience didn't kill the devil yet, what it did do is make the enemy powerless over you. Which means since he conquered, I can conquer too. All I'm trying to teach you in this first point of this homiletic presentation is simply this. I'm released from bondage because I have a shared experience with Jesus Christ. But not only do I have a shared experience, but secondly, if I'm going to be released from bondage, uh, I've got to understand that the Lord seizes his own. Somebody shout, seizes his own. No, I said shout it. Y'all said it. Somebody shout, seizes his own. If I'm going to be released from bondage, text says, he does not give aid to angels. Am I in the text? But he gives aid to Abraham's seed. Not to angelic seraphim but to Abrahamic seed. You have to understand something about the seedness of Abraham. It's not about tracing your bloodline back to Abraham, but it's about having the faith of Abraham. Okay, let me illustrate. Um, perhaps there's some honest folk here. I know I got some honest folk in Selma. Hopefully I got some honest folk here too who can admit there are some people that are related to us, but we don't consider them family. Come on and say amen. They, they, they eat at our table for Thanksgiving. They come around and eat food and then leave for Christmas. But we don't consider them family. But on the other hand, Dr. Maynard Reed, all of us know some folk who, although they're not related to us by blood, we consider them family. Because everybody your color is not your kind. And so... The text applies to anyone in here because Paul teaches that if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are of Abraham's seed. Now look closely. Look closely at the relationship uh, to the seed that Christ has. He gives aid to the seed of Abraham. Let us know that we don't have to beat bondage by ourselves. Let us know that we don't have to navigate the tempting, treacherous terrain of life by ourselves because the Lord gives aid. This word aid, it means to take hold of or grasp with the focus upon the goal of motion. The idea is literally this, to help someone by taking them by the hand and drawing them out of the mess that they are in. The text says he gives aid. It doesn't say he gave aid or he will give aid. It's written in this present tense, which implies a continuous activity of aid. He doesn't just aid me on Monday and leave me to my own devices on Tuesday. 
nor every day I'm aided by a power that is stronger than I am. That, that's why, that's why and, and, and I know you don't have this here. Uh, I, I've got I'm talking about my church, not this church. That's why you don't gossip about people. You must pray for folks. Because the Lord is working it out in all of us. Okay, I don't have any honest folk in Walla Walla. I said the Lord is working it out in all of us. In fact, the reality is that all of us have the same testimony. The things I used to do. No, I still do them sometimes. But if you pray for me and stop gossiping about me, one day the thing I can say, the things I used to do, I do them no more. Do I have a witness here? Deliverance comes not from my strength, but it comes from the aid, or, or the, the archaic word is the sucker of God, who sent his son to free me and release me from bondage to, to the demonic and liberate me in the divine. When I'm drowning, when I'm down, when I'm defeated, when I'm depressed, the aid of God, the sucker of God, can pick me up and start me on my way again. Do I have a witness here? I'm so glad that I didn't have to do anything to be released. All I had to do is let the Lord come into my heart. And when the Lord saw me drowning in my clay, because his hand is not too short to save, he stretched his hand toward the seed and seized you when you had no strength to seize yourself. Not only am I released from bondage because of a shared experience, not only am I released from bondage because his mission is seizing the seed, but thirdly and finally, I'm released from bondage because I have a strong advocate. Somebody shout strong advocate. No, y'all said it. Somebody shout strong advocate. Verse 17, I'm still in my text. In all things, the text says, he had to be made like his brothers and his sisters that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, it would take your pastor and me, Dr. Reed, a whole lot of the folk, a whole month of Sabbaths to unpack that word by word. But simply, what this text is trying to teach is of the advocatory nature of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest. Okay, he's, he's merciful, which means that he is actively compassionate. He's wonderfully benevolent. He abounds in mercy. The Lord is concerned about our need, but not only is he merciful, the text says he's also faithful. He's trustworthy. Because when everyone who is concerned about you is faithful to your need. Now, whenever you have... Um, a high priest, whenever you have an advocate, often they're only an advocate for a season because priests die. Preachers die. Prophets die, okay? Let me illustrate since you all are not catching this. Um, um, if O.J. Simpson gets in any more trouble than he already is, he can't call Robert Kardashian because Robert Kardashian is dead. Okay, um, let me try this. If OJ gets in any more trouble, uh, he can't call Johnny Cochran because Johnny Cochran 
is dead. Okay, y'all, I'm losing this crowd right over here. So let me, let me talk to you all right here. Um, um, when I was growing up, my mom, I, used to, I grew up with my mother, and, and we used to watch uh, Perry Mason. Y'all too, too young to know about Perry Mason. Um, but I can't watch any new episodes of Perry Mason because Raymond Burr, who played Perry Mason, is dead. Okay, I'm losing this crowd over here now. Um, I used to love to watch Lieutenant Columbo. But I can't watch any more Lieutenant Columbo because Peter Falk, who played Lieutenant Columbo, is dead. Because folk die. And so all I'm trying to teach you here is that you have to understand about the immutability, the unchangingness of Jesus Christ. Now, to the Jewish culture, um, the priesthood was an exalted position. Priests were considered to be the connected men to God. So much so that the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which means bridge builder. The priest is considered to build a bridge from man to God because in that time, in that culture, you could not go directly to God. You had to go through a mediator. Every priest, before they went to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people, they had to ensure they were right with God. Because if they were not right with God, they'd be slain when they reached the most holy place. And so now in our text, the writer is trying to prove that we have a greater high priest. One who does not need to make atonement for his own sin. Can I tell you, Walla Walla? that our lives all deserve the wrath of God. I know you're cute, and I know you drive a nice car, and I know you have money in the bank, but all of our lives deserve the wrath of God. However, Christ is so concerned about us that he propitiates, by definition, he releases us from the wages of sin, which is death and propels us into the newness of eternal life. He should have been our greatest enemy, but instead he became our greatest friend. He had to become like us in all things, that he, that he, that he might be merciful and faithful, so that when we slip up and when we mess up, when we really deserve justice, Jesus says, Father, give them another chance. I've paid the price. Now make no mistake about it. Christ is not sacrificing for you right now. He sacrificed once and for all. But what he is doing is presenting and representing his people right here on earth. That's propitiation, y'all. Since he knows what I'm going through, he can bring me out. And if you can thank God for favor, and if you can thank God for prosperity, if you can thank God for degrees, cars, houses, and lands, you want to thank God for words like high priest and words like cross, and words like blood, because our relationship with the Lord has made us free. And if we stay in his hand, all things will work out for those that love the Lord. And through, here's my closing illustration. I remember some time ago, um, I, was, I was in Hampton, Virginia, and I left Hampton, Virginia, and I couldn't go straight home because we had to go to camp meeting. And I know I don't know if you do it here uh, for as long as we do it, but our camp meeting in South Central Conference lasts for 10 whole days. Chief Akins, you know it lasts for 10 whole days. And, and so I didn't go home to Montgomery. I had to, I got off the plane and I drove south, I drove north on I-65, and I had to go to Huntsville. Now, before camp meeting, 
all of the pastors who have been pastoring for less than five years in the conference have to take part in something that we call Camp Pitch. I don't know if you know anything about Camp Pitch here uh, in this conference, in this region, or in this territory, but we have to take, take part in this thing called Camp Pitch, and we have to put up all these tents, all, we have to take out all these chairs, and all of the young pastors have to get together and partake in Camp Pitch. Now, this is my first time here. Uh, I don't know y'all. Y'all don't know me, so I can be honest in here. Y'all can tell my president if you want to, but I hate Camp Pitch. I hate it with a passion. In fact, I think this year what I'm going to do is pay someone to do my job because I hate camp. Now, it's not that I don't like hanging out with the brothers and the sisters. It's not that. But the thing that I dislike, uh, Pastor McCarthy, is, is that I have to work out there all day long in July in the heat. And then they give us this long break, so I go shower, and then they have us back out there working again, so I got to shower again. And so it, it was just, it's just a terrible experience. I don't like to do it. Um, and, and, so, and so usually when I'm on the road for so long, maybe over a week or so, uh, anyone that knows Laurent Sinclair Grosvenor knows that Laurent Sinclair Grosvenor does not like to travel with dirty clothes. Don't miss that. I don't like to travel with dirty clothes. And so, and so usually, usually, I, usually what I'll do, I'll find me a, a, a washroom in the hotel. If I can't find one in the hotel, I'll go fi try to find me a laundry mat where I can do my laundry because I don't like traveling home with dirty clothes. And so I'm there in Huntsville trying to find a, a laundry mat. Um, and I went into this laundry mat that I saw, uh, but it was dirty in there. And I said, Lord, it doesn't make any sense to try and make clothes clean in a dirty laundry mat. And so I, I swallowed my pride and I, I, went back to hunt, I went back to Montgomery with my dirty clothes, but as soon as I got home, I put my clothes in the washing machine. Took my clothes out, put them in the dryer. And as I'm folding my clothes, to my standards anyway, folding my clothes, um, I, I go through a pair of shorts and I notice that there's something in the pair of shorts. Pull it out. And I realize that it's the fob to my car. I said, Lord, have mercy. I said, what in the world am I going to do? So the first thing I did, I got my cell phone, called up the dealership. I said, hey, uh, how's it going? Uh, uh, my key fob has just been in the dryer for 30, 35 minutes. Um, how much would it be to get a new key fob? They said, sir, um, what car do you drive? I told them what car it was. I told them what year it was. Um, uh, they said, uh, sir, it's going to be $372.62, not including taxes and fees. I said, the devil is a liar. I said, I'm, I'm not paying that. Half my salary. Uh, uh, so, so I said, no, I'm not paying that. So I said, Lord, what am I going to do? And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, go outside and try the fob and see if it still works. I said, try the fob. It's been in the drying machine for 30 minutes. But y'all but missing this because if it's been in the dryer for 30 minutes, it's also been in the washing machine for 30 minutes. I said, try. It's been through water. It's been through heat. There's no way this key fob is going to work. And so I went outside. I, I pressed the button on the fob, and I heard my car go, beep, beep. <laughs> beep, beep. 
and I, I, I almost did a holy dance. I was praising the Lord that my key had still worked. And all I'm trying to tell you is that you may go through water and you may go through fire, but if you stay in the hand of the Lord, the Lord will make you work again. Is there anyone in here that has a testimony? that they stayed in the hand of the Lord. Well, come on, if you've got a testimony, you ought to stand to your feet and let people know that you stayed in the hand of God and he made you work again. When people counted me out, I stayed in his hand. When they said I wouldn't make it, I stayed in his hand. Because can I tell you that if you stay in God's hand and if you stay under his wing, he will make the crooked places straight. And he'll make the rough places smooth. And he'll make you work again. That's the kind of God we serve. Someone play something for me. Never forget. Never forget. I was... I was just gone to Oakwood University and I just finished preaching a revival in Old Harbor, Jamaica. Freshman year, about to start my freshman year at school. And I didn't have any money. Grew up in a single parent home. My mom always worked, but I didn't have enough money to pay for Oakwood. Because Adventist education is expensive. Amen. It pays, but it's expensive too. So I went to the, to the desk, the clearance line, and told them my situation. Said I'm from England, don't have much money. All I have is $500 in my pocket. The lady there, her name is April. I remember very clearly. She said, um, sir, um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to let you in, but by next week Friday, you're going to need to pay the rest of your balance, $9,500. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? Tuesday came. Nothing happened. Wednesday came. Have you, ever, have you ever prayed so hard and so long for something and it doesn't come to pass and you get tired of praying? That's where I was. I said, Lord, you sent me here. Told me to come to Oakland. Didn't even want to be a pastor. God, you orchestrated the events of my life to be here. And now you leave me high and dry. Thursday came, I got a message on my Facebook account. There's a pastor who now passes in Memphis, Tennessee. Said, Laurent, I'm supposed to go preach in Memphis, Tennessee, it was actually. Um, I can't go. Can you go for me this Sabbath? Now remember, Friday is my deadline. But he asked me, can I go on Sabbath to go preach at this, I think it was a youth federation. I said, sure, I'll go. Friday came, my deadline came. And we all know that 12 o'clock noon, campus shuts down. So I was scared. I was there in the dorm room. I plugged out the phone, didn't have the money. Turned off my cell phone. I locked the door because I thought that they were going to send Chief Akins, who was the chief of police then, to come and escort me off the campus because I was trespassing and hadn't cleared. Friday came, no knock on the door. 
went to preach in Memphis with this heavy burden on my heart. Finished preaching, sat down. The youth director of the conference then and still now, he gets up and he says, brothers and sisters, this young preacher, he doesn't know that I know, but he's struggling to get into school. And we want to help him today. That's what they did. They, he said, let's raise an offering for him. Now, um, I'm from England. Pastor McCarthy's from England. We both know, and if any of you else from England, you know England is a conservative culture. If you ask for money in England, you're not going to get much. <laughs> Brits and their money are seldom parted. <laughs> so I was sat there in America with a British mentality. I said, okay, you know, praise the Lord. It's going to be $500, $1,000. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord still had this burden on my heart. But don't you know that after everything was collected and all the checks were made out, it came to just north of what I needed to get into school. And that's not the end of the story. Every semester, every year, bill was paid till I finished four years of undergrad with no student loans no debt seminary was paid for but only because not because of how good I was only because I said Lord I'm going to stay in your hand do with me as you will, but I'm going to stay in your hand. The theme in this church for this winter quarter has been God's Amen. kitchen, pastor shared with me. Can I tell you, the ingredient for your release and your liberty is not education, it's not financial stability, but it's staying in the hand of God. So your testimony will simply be, I'm free. Praise the Lord, I'm free. No longer bound. No more chains holding me. My soul is resting. It's just a blessing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm free. Why would you long to live bound when God has made you free? If I'm freed by God, I'm free indeed. I don't know who in here is dealing with some kind of bondage. But God wants you to be free. Walk in the liberty 
wherewith Christ has made you free. Everyone stand to your feet all over the sanctuary. Everyone stand to your feet. Today I want to pray for somebody. I want to pray for somebody. You've been experiencing some type of bondage in your life. Perhaps you're ready to throw in the towel. I'm not naive to think that just because we're in suits and dresses that life is good at home. I know folk who know how to fake a smile but struggle with suicide. I know folk who know how to fake a smile but dealing with divorce at home. So on today, I don't mean to get into your business or step on your toes, but if there's an area of your life you need freedom and liberty. I'd like you down to this altar right now because I want to pray for you. There's an area in your life that you need liberty. There's an area in your life you need victory over. I'm not going to ask you your business, but I do want to pray for you. Would you come? Come quickly. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. still time to come even in the balcony even in the balcony Sing that one time, Benji. Come on, I'm free. Praise the Lord, I'm free. I'm free. No longer bound. No more chains holding me. My soul is resting. It's just a blessing. God our Father we thank you that in you there is liberty we thank you that you led captivity captive there's someone at this altar that's struggling with depression God would you come by here there's someone at this altar struggling with anger. Would you come by here? 
God, there's someone here that's struggling with divorce. Would you come by here? God, there's someone here that's struggling with contemplation of giving up. Would you come by here? Would you set us free from that which has imprisoned us? We want to live in liberty. We want to walk in liberty. We want to worship in liberty. God, we thank you that you have for sin atonement made. God, we thank you that we've been redeemed, the price is paid. God, we thank you that the gradient of your grace is steeper than the gradient of our sin. God, forgive us. Will you have preferred bondage to liberty? Forgive us where we've made an excuse for our bondage in saying that's just who I am. No, that isn't who we are. We were created to be disciples. We were created to be servants. God, heal those that need healing today. Rescue those that need rescuing. We want to live for you. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for her pastor, Pastor Alex Bryan. God, bless this place and enlarge its territory. And when you come in the clouds of glory, may we see your face and say, this is our God, we've waited for him. He will save us. Let us then be true and faithful trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. God, we thank you for what our eyes have seen, for what our ears have heard. Keep us faithful. Keep us strong. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Well, hug somebody and say, you are released. You are released. God bless you. I love you. May the peace of God be yours.